everyone. Welcome to the podcast where we think about and talk about the good shift because I believe the antidote to feeling stuck begins in our minds with a shift in our thinking. Today, my producer TJ and I are going to talk about relationship tip number five, the importance of rituals. I just think it's really important to have rituals in your marriage or your serious relationship. I mean, We've always had relationships throughout our, um, or excuse me, rituals throughout our relationship. And we're going on like next weekend is going to be, gosh, number 35, anniversary number 35 coming up on August 3rd. And, you know, we've just always have had some sort of variety of rituals that, which have um, changed, you know, over the years, depending on what's going on in our lives, but there's always been something. And I think that, well, first of all, let's just, let's just talk a little bit about what exactly rituals are in this context. They're, they're the activities that you are consistently repeating, you know, over time with your partner They're they're like established and predictable patterns. Basically they're like habits with a symbolic meaning of some sort. And they can, they can be a way of consistently spending quality time together and of acknowledging special little things that you do that are just your things. Uh, they can be representative of our commitment to each other. They make us feel emotionally connected. They're, I think that they're part of the structure of the protective cocoon around your relationship. And you may remember I touched a little bit about what a cocooning is um, in, I believe it was tip number one, episode 40. So if you missed that, check that out. Uh, but they're part of that whole structure. And because rituals are patterns, they're familiar and we like familiarity. Comfortable, positive or fun rituals make us feel safe and sound because of this reason by the way they're also very important for children a little side note real quick about kids if you have kids just know that when there's any degree of chaos or disorder in the household then kids don't feel safe so positive rituals in the form of like family routines and rules creates a sense of order and certainty, which promotes a sense of safety, which is obviously how we want our kids to feel and how they should feel. So anyway, whether or not you have kids, rituals can be awesome building blocks and support systems in any relationship. TJ, do you and your wife have rituals or do you have family rituals that you guys um, employ? You know, I think that question is like asking a human being if they breathe or not, because we're creatures of habit and therefore we create rituals and, and we get into things. And sometimes I think it can be a bad thing, but also I think rituals and, and sort of, uh, frequency and, and the ways that we do things are kind of like the, the building blocks of life and, in uh, sort of the glue that holds our life together. Like, uh, when it comes to celebrating holidays a certain way, I know where I am, on the 4th of July every year, we have family friends that we always get together with. And it's something that I look forward to. And, and yeah, maybe my 4th of July of 2017 is identical to 2018 and identical to 2019, but it's, it's comfortable to me. It's familiar. And, uh, I think that while sometimes those sort of rituals can maybe make one feel complacent in life, it's also something that 
provides like structure and, and, and makes me feel good. So I think, you know, rituals cut both ways. I think that they're really good sometimes, Lori, and sometimes I think that we kind of get stuck in our ways and, and complacency is good until it's not. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think that, um, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. There are, there's definitely a time when there are certain rituals or traditions, um, have to change. They have to sometimes grow along with you. And then there's certain ones, you know, like you mentioned holidays that you just never want them to change because they're so good. And, you know, they are symbolic of, you know, for most of us, family time and, you know, just celebrating those things together. But like for couples, I think there are certain things that, you know, I know like we have things that we have always done together Um, and they're not necessarily anything super unusual, but you know, I mean, Eric brings me, he's usually up first. Uh, so he brings me coffee in bed almost every single morning. He and Nikki come and wake me up because they're always up before like the sun. And I like to at least wait until it's light out. So they bring me coffee in bed every morning, which I think is just so delightful to have that just that little tiny, you know, reaching out and, and thinking of me in that way. And, you know, we used to have a ritual and this is one of our rituals that changed. Um, we used to have a ritual where every single night when it was time to just wind down from the day and we were going to watch, you know, a favorite show, which is another ritual. We only have certain shows that we watch together and then we would sit on the couch and trade foot rubs which was an awesome ritual because who doesn't love a good foot rub, right? And so now, now we do that probably a little bit less frequently. We still do it. It's just not a nightly thing. But our whole, all of our rituals just got kind of shaken up recently because we just moved from um, Wyoming to Connecticut. So all of our routines and rituals and just the you know, just how we flow through our day completely changed. So we're reestablishing as we get settled, some of those rituals that, that we love, that we've always done. And we're finding new rituals. Like for two weeks now, we've been eating out (laughs) like every day because we're foodies and we're now surrounded by amazing restaurants And, uh, we were just looking at each other yesterday and I was like, I don't know that this is a sustainable ritual. (laughs) And Eric's like, I'm sure it's not. I feel myself turning into Yoda as we speak. So no, things will be changing and we'll be going back to a ritual of, you know, cooking and eating at home and then maybe eating out, you know, on the weekend or something. But But I think, um, you know, stuff like that, date night and, um, you know, when we're in Wyoming, it would be let's go and watch the sunset every night or go out and stargaze because you could see a bajillion stars out there. So things like that um, that you do together as a couple that just are your special thing. Do you and your wife have any of those things that are just for the two of you? Uh, 100 percent. I'm a big fan of late night walks. So if we have the ability to uh, maybe have a date night and we get home and it's maybe not quite time to relieve the babysitter, I like to park the car in the driveway and go for a 45-minute stroll around the neighborhood, which 
at, at times can be dangerous. We have a pack of uh, very aggressive coyotes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we grab the walking stick, a golf club, whatever, and uh, yeah. go for a little stroll. And uh, that's that's how we normally end our date nights, which uh, if you took away that walk from our date night, it could be the best date ever. I would feel empty inside. I don't know why. That Maybe that sounds silly, but... Uh, yeah. that, that's just how it works for me. It, it'd be like waking up on Christmas and not opening up presents and just having dinner instead. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's some things like that that you've just been doing for so long and you love so much that you would feel weird when if you had to stop doing it. I get that too. We used to do the same thing um, in, uh, in Arizona and we had coyotes around there, a lot of coyotes as well. So I get that. It's, uh, it's more of a, an adventure. <laughs> Who like knows? An yeah. Stroll. You never know. Take away the coyotes. Maybe I don't even want to go for a walk anymore. Maybe that's my living on the edge, you know? Right. Right. Kind of takes a little bit of the thrill out of it, knowing that there could be trouble. Right? Maybe I'm like secretly hoping there's trouble, but not really. I think you are. I think you're looking for that little bit of uh, of a challenge coming up, right? Yeah, I want I, mean, I want to defend her, right? I want to defend her against the coyote that may or may not attack. Which exactly, exactly. And you know what? That's funny you say that because one of my ritualistic things that I wanted to bring up is is has to do with manners, which also includes chivalry. I think it's really important to be very ritualistic with manners, and I. I say that because I think that, you know, a lot of times just basic manners sort of get lost as time goes by and people are with each other for for a long time. And I just think that familiarity is not a license to drop politeness or to, um, you know, to even be OK with with rudeness. And I think that just manners and being polite. I mean, we still say constantly please and thank you to each other. I mean, bless you every time somebody sneezes, you know, and I think that chivalry um, is, you know, that's a version of old fashioned manners. And I was going to ask you if that is even still a thing anymore or is it completely dead? But you just, you know, kind of answered my question. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of uh, couples tend to lose some of that uh, general uh, politeness over the years. Um, my wife, for whatever reason, she always holds the door for me. I don't know why, but I always pull her chair out for her. So it, it's kind of like a two-way street. My, my wife and I are very much uh, into sort of breaking standards when it comes to chivalry, but still being polite and courteous. Like I said, she holds the door for me, which is usually the opposite. And I yeah. uh, pull her chair out for her, which is uh, pretty normal. Also, my wife buys me flowers, which that definitely confuses my friends. But She's always bought me flowers. I've always bought her candy. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. So, you know what? I just think that's cool. And whether or not you love flowers is really beside the point, right? It's just, it's Who the doesn't fact love that flowers? She... Okay. Like, I mean, well, I know it's not a manly thing per se, Lori, but uh, I'm sorry. Flowers, they're pretty <laughs> and they smell nice. So I'm not going to complain. I agree. I totally agree. Maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'm going to try getting Eric flowers and see what happens. <laughs> I think I know. I think he'll like be really um, 
surprised. And I think he'll be like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. But I think inside he's going to be like, I wonder why she got me flowers. Is that a hint? Oh, maybe I should have got her flowers. Maybe she's he's going to think there's psychology involved in there. And well, it was like my way of saying, you need to buy me some flowers. He, he does maybe. work in professional wrestling, which is pretty much all about psychology. So that might not be fair. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I love flowers, too, though. And I will just buy myself flowers whenever I feel like it. So it's all good. They're but. pretty and they smell good. Like, I, I'm sorry if that makes me less of a man, quote unquote. I'm, you know, I'm a I sucker. Don't. I'm a sucker for things that I are pretty think. and smell good, which largely are why I like women. Right. Pretty and smell right. good. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. I think uh, I think we need a lot more flowers everywhere. So, they need to come down in price, thing. though. Let me just tell you that. My goodness. Yeah, it is a little bit um, daunting sometimes when you want to go and pick up some beautiful flowers and, you, and there's a little bit of sticker shock there. And you're like, uh, well, like, well, maybe I'll just maybe one. Why? <laughs> why are a dozen roses anywhere from seventy five to one hundred dollars? I'm, I'm sorry. It's a little I ridiculous. I don't, I don't know. Why is that? And why are roses so much more expensive than like daisies? Right. I don't Which, get it. Uh, I don't get it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of daisies, by the way. Yeah, I know. They come in like a rainbow of colors and you can usually get them for like 14 bucks. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. they, and they're just as cheerful. Exactly. I, I, my, my local florist does something with daisies where he uh, he, he sets them in a, a pot of water with like food coloring and the petals get weird colors like green uh -huh. and purple and all yeah. sorts of like tie dye weird stuff. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's so that's how the, I wondered how they did that. OK, but like, the like one I said, thing they you, don't have. you didn't know about this uh, about me, but I'm a sucker for flowers. So there you go. Yeah. Now I know something I didn't know about you. I just I just wish daisies did have a better scent, though. That's the only thing that they're missing is a really I agree. scent. But that's OK. So anyway, I I, uh, I just think that, yes, manners and chivalry. And I think that, you know, even waiting on each other, we we do that all the time, every day. We wait on each other, not like, you know, like servants, but it's I think just it's a way of sort of joyfully taking care of each other. You know, I'll. Eric will pick up my dinner plate when we're sitting in the living room and put it in the sink and wash the dishes or I'll refill his beverage. Or I just think that things like that, manners and pleases and thank yous, waiting on each other. It's just a way to, you know, show that you notice and you appreciate your partner and you and you want to take care of them even by these small, seemingly small gestures. And, but they're actually that, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that desire to care for someone and how that notion is received is largely the backbone of traditions and rituals. It's, it, you know, it's that old saying, it's the thought that counts. Like when mm -hmm. you take away those things, like if, if all of a sudden my wife stopped buying me flowers because she got the idea that I didn't like flowers, I would all of a sudden get into that psychology point and be like, well, why, why isn't she buying me something else? Or mm -hmm. do I not deserve flowers anymore? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's things right. like that. And, uh, th Is that's mad at me. Right. Right. And I think that's the, you know, we talk about rituals sort of being the building blocks and the structure and, and the glue to our lives. Like even if you modify them a certain way, maybe not, you know, necessary meaning to do so, you can sort of get in someone's head and, and that that's another thing that's, I think, uh, bad if you don't have rituals or things like that. Mm hmm. Totally. We have this one like we have this little 
I guess I would call it like an idiosyncratic ritual because it really, it, it's really just this funny little thing that we do, which, which we don't need to do. It makes no sense. But we, um, we used to have a coffee maker that, uh, you couldn't tell by the design of the coffee maker, if all of the, if somebody had poured the water in the reservoir already to set it up. So a lot of times, you know, we would set the coffee pot up at night so that in the morning, then you could just walk out and turn it on because we never hit the timer. So we just, whoever got up, turned it on, but it was already made and set up and ready to go. But you couldn't tell if the water was in the reservoir, if you didn't, you know, really look in there carefully. So what would happen frequently is somebody would get up and, you know, half awake or half asleep still go to pour a bunch of water in the reservoir and then it would overflow because it was already filled. So we started this ritual where whoever, whoever set it up, um, put a little rock, a little stone that I had on top of it. And that was the signal that it's all set up. Don't do anything. All you have to do is push on. And so fast forward to years later, we now don't have that same coffee maker anymore. And you can clearly see when there's water in the reservoir really easily so there's no need to do it, but we still do it and we miss it if we don't do it. And now we just moved and we got here and I went to set the new coffee maker up the other night and I was like, oh, I don't have a rock to put on it, <laughs> even though I didn't really need one. But it just felt funny not putting something on there so that when Eric, I knew he'd get up first, when he looked at it, he would know right away that it was all ready and like be excited because all he has to do is push the on button. So. Right. I looked around and I had a tomato sitting on the counter. So I stuck that on there. And uh, sure enough, he mentioned it, you know, in the morning. He thought that was super cute that he got up and he saw the tomato sitting on top and he knew exactly what it meant. And and then he's like, we're going to have to go out and find ourselves a new rock for our coffee maker here. So it's one of those funny little rituals that's just a quirky thing that we do. And it's just, it's totally unnecessary. It serves no purpose other than it's like our little inside sort of joke. Well, you know what I mean? Also too, when you're in new surroundings, that little uh, thing that you guys do that they say home is where the heart is. Well, yes. for you guys, I think you'll always feel a little sense of home, no matter where you are, because you have a little token uh, of this, right. you know, bond uh, with the coffee machine. It, it is. It's just it's a goofy little thing. But that's exactly right. So then we're like, well, we can't just go find any rock. So then we made this whole plan that next Saturday when we're celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary, uh, wherever we go, we'll hunt around there for a new rock to have out here in our Connecticut residence to carry on our ritual. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of this cool little thing. And I think stuff like that, though, that's very personal to you and your partner, you and your mate are just they're just little treasures that you have that are added little elements that bond you to each other. I think it's cool. Don't become a slave to your rituals. That's how we're going to wind this up. The thing is, you have to be willing to replace old rituals with new rituals as your relationship evolves and life changes. So some things like, you know, you alluded to earlier, you know, traditional things like holidays and stuff, some things you just never, there's no reason to change them. You never want to change them. Um, you know, it's part of the fabric of, you know, the way your life flows together. But 
you know, not all rituals remain relevant or even helpful as, as time goes on and your lifestyle changes. I mean, you know, you might have, if you've been together a long time, maybe in your, you know, earlier years or your twenties and thirties, your ritual was to, you know, party like rock stars three or four nights a week. And maybe that, you know, you get onto your forties and fifties or you're having kids and maybe that, those rituals no longer support you in a very positive way. So some things, you know, you do evolve out of and you have to, you know, reevaluate them. They should be always, you know, something that is supportive and promoting unity um, and, and bonding. And, and they should always show that, you know, how you value each other and how you spend your time. Um, but, you know, you can be, you can be flexible too. Um, sometimes, you know, when circumstances require, um, you gotta mix things up a little bit or just lighten up a little bit on some of the things so that they don't become tedious or more like a chore that you start to resent. That's kind of something that's telling you either the ritual needs to change or maybe one of you isn't kind of into it anymore. So sometimes there are rituals that have to be reevaluated and, adjusted or replaced with new ones. 100%. What you, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and when I think about rituals, um, I think about some of the, the interviews that you've done in the past with uh, people that have struggled with addiction. And when you talk to people that have had addictions, they, they'll talk about getting clean and getting past it. But the hardest thing that they uh, sort of endure is not having the, the feelings surrounding uh, using in the sense of, well, when I would use drugs, I would do this. I would prep this. I would get around to uh, making myself uh, isolated, but I had this as a comfort zone. And, and uh, I think about um, n- not as hard uh, of, of uh, a habit like drugs, but my, my, my father, he smoked for 25 years. He woke up one day, cigarettes had hit like $3 a pack, which I think is significantly lower than it is now, but that pissed him off. And uh, he decided he wasn't going to smoke. And he, he stopped cold turkey. And he said the hardest thing was uh, not having a, a cigarette after he ate. And it wasn't like the feeling of having a, a cigarette and the, the buzz or whatever that he got from it. It was, well, I've eaten. Now I must go smoke. He needed to find something else uh, that sort of satisfied that uh, next step in his day. And uh, uh, once he figured that out, he said it was much easier to... Uh, uh, stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Because things like that, um, are, um, state changers. So the ritual of, of smoking and I've, uh, my mother was a smoker as well. And, you know, just talking to her over the years and other people, um, part of that is like you said, it's not necessarily always the smoking of the cigarette or the nicotine. It's not necessarily the addiction there, but it's the addiction to this is a vehicle that a person is using to change their state. Um, so like maybe people that, um, take a 15 minute break at work and the process is now I leave, now I go outside, you know, or I go over to this other area, which is my favorite spot. And then you have this whole way that you take out your cigarette and the way that you handle it and the way that you light it in that first, you know, inhale and long exhale. And that totally changes the, you know, your state of mind, your state of being in the moment. So, so things like addictive substances are often 
used. They're used for state changers, and that becomes as big a part of the addiction as the substance itself. So it makes sense. So yeah, you have to find um, a more positive vehicle or one that isn't harmful to you in order to achieve that same goal of changing your state and moving from one state into the next state or transitioning. You know what I mean? Right. 100%, which I think is why you see a lot of people that stop smoking or uh, stop drinking. They end up taking on uh, another vice. Sometimes it's uh, if -hmm. you're if you no longer drink, maybe you smoke a lot more or uh, if you no longer smoke, you eat a lot more. Um, I I think, unfortunately, you give up one vice for another. But that's sort of telling it how the human mind works. You you want something. And I think a lot of those uh, sort of addictions, it's not necessarily the properties involved uh, that are, are pulling on your, uh, not heartstrings, but the, you know, the, they become rituals. It, it's because you're looking for something. It just so happens you end up finding something that is maybe negative for your health. If, if some people, I, I know a buddy of mine, he replaced, uh, smoking with running, which is the, the really big opposite of one another, you know, doing something that's good for your lungs, uh, compared to something that's bad for your lungs. But, uh, every night after dinner, he goes for a, a three mile run and, and that is replaced as smoking. Right, right. So he found a he found a positive vehicle. Uh, yes, Bravo. yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, w- I wish I had that uh, ability, but uh, you know, someday. I, I know, but you go out and you brave the coyotes, and um, I think that that's cool too. So exactly, <laughs> right? yes, <laughs> right. But uh, but yeah, I think um, you know, just being uh, being willing to recognize. Uh, that you may have some rituals, look at the ones that support you. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you want it, maybe it's time for some new ones, or maybe you haven't really even paid much attention and you don't really have any, but I just think that rituals really help support the health of your relationship. So anyone out there listening, if you're wondering about this, I invite you to talk to your partner about it and, you know, ask, what rituals that you may already have that he or she really, really loves or let them know what you really enjoy, something that you guys do all the time together that is meaningful to you. If you have, if they don't know that, tell them, or maybe you have to um, start throwing out some new ideas and creating some new rituals together. It's never too late to implement them and they can actually really infuse your relationship with new energy and positive focus. So give it some thought, give it a try and, uh, and let me know what you think. So that's it today. You guys relationship tip number five, creating rituals. Thank you for listening, everybody. And thanks for your input, TJ, as always, it was excellent. You know, I'll always be here cause I'm just full of shift, <laughs> right? That's why I love you. <laughs> All right, you guys, I hope you love what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe and share your comments. And of course, I would love if you would give me a rating. It makes my day so much brighter. If you're trying to make some shift happen in your life or your relationships and you want to find out what private coaching with me is all about, just go ahead and connect with me on any of the social media platforms or head on over to we'retalkingshift.com or lauriebischoff.com. You will find me there. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen in your life. That goes for you too, Gary V.